Hotel History is created for adult audiences. Content may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. You're listening to Hotel History. We take you with us through the sordid history and scandals of some of the world's most famous and infamous hotels. I'm Dieta. And I'm Yael. Let's get started. Welcome back to Hotel History. Today we will be discussing part two of the Plaza Hotel, the final part. We're starting off with the end of World War II and who currently owns it. Conrad Hilton owns it, I think for about 10 years. He sells it in 1953. Yeah, 1953. 53. Oh, so it was exactly 10 years. Yeah, and he doubles his money. He gets 15 million for it. Look at that. He's a smart man. <laughs> he also, like, when he came in, he made his workers work throughout the night. Like, he did a, a lot to fix the hotel. Like, they were working round the clock. Um, so, he was a serious businessman, and I think he basically salvaged the hotel when it really needed yeah. help. Um, it was also the hotel during the war or right after it was a place that like a lot of the Red Cross would be there. The, um, uh, the soldiers coming home. It was, uh, it was a hot spot for the USO mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Like, to they raise had money. tons of charity a events lot of there. Were there. So good job for the plaza being that place. Cause like, imagine being a soldier coming home from war and then they're like, Hey, you can hang out in the plaza. Yeah. Pretty nice. It's the least. <laughs> they can do (laughs) that kind of concludes like the post-war or the end of world war ii and how the hotel adjusted and then you know the plaza is is doing well things are happening and also during this time right after the war or you know the 1950s they open uh some a place called the persian room which we mentioned before in our first episode and it was this fun kind of cocktail dinner club in the hotel and on the walls was like a bunch of Persian art. It was it was the place to be at the time. They had acts that would come in that were, uh, the, everyone knew that singer was going to yeah. be at the Persian room. A singer um, that was well known at the time was mm-hmm, Hildegard. Yeah. We mentioned her last time too, and she has the best name. And she apparently was like the it Yes, she was like the time. So huge, yeah. (laughs) Like the so the Persian room had been open since the 30s, but like the 50s was really like when it it's just hits its stride. And I think the Hildegard's uh, her signature color was pink, and I think she's one of the only people that they would actually redecorate the Persian room for once they noticed that the Persian room was being changed to a pink theme. Everybody knew Hildegard was coming, and it would like create this buzz. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I also didn't know it was open in the 30s. Yeah, it opened up during the Depression. Uh, oh, but that's why it probably didn't take off as much as it did after. Yeah, like, it was later just, on. I, I mean, yeah, I'm sure people were... had a little bit more money to spend during this period of time. Post-war yeah, boom. There were other yeah. things going on during the 30s and 40s. Yeah, there's <laughs> actually um, a lot of great jazz artists uh, recorded 
during their uh, time there, like Billie Holiday, Miles Davis, Duke Ellington. And you can actually find at least, I believe, the Miles Davis recording that was done at the Virgin Room on Spotify. Oh, I've listened to it. Yeah. It's yeah, really I think good. it's called like Miles um, Davis at yeah. the Plaza or something like that. Yeah, very something obvious. very like you shouldn't have to search too <laughs> long and hard for yeah. it. Everyone has performed at the Persian Room ever since, it, like throughout its existence. It was if there was a celebrity or a singer like Frank yeah. Sinatra, and we mentioned that also, like just a list of all the acts. But um, it really takes off during this time. And someone we should mention is Kay Thompson. And Kay Thompson, she was uh, she also had like a she was a singer, a, a song trainer yeah, she was a, um, for like a, celebrity. A vocal coach. Song. Yeah. Vocal she coach. was a, a music coach. arranger. Yeah, yeah. She did all kinds of things. She, uh, she was in Funny Face mm-hmm. as the editor in chief of the magazine. I love that movie. And so she wanted to be a ce- celebrity, an actress, well known, but she kind of realized that she wasn't, her like talents didn't lie in being, you know, in front of the camera necessarily but she goes and she performs at the persian room all the time and she kind of is well known to her friends to tap into this like little girl voice act and her friend who hears it was like you need to make a book about this or you need to write you need to do something and she would turn into a six-year-old girl and her name was eloise and if you're familiar with the plaza then you know about eloise but this is the the origin story. It was Kay Thompson who created this character and she would just act like a little girl for fun or like it was it's kind of weird to be honest, but it, I guess yeah, she had a bit at the same you know? time. <laughs> she would do her bit. It was a bit. Yeah, it was her bit. Um she would call up room service and she'd be like, I'm Eloise and I want six cheeseburgers and I okay, and I'm really not coffee and lots of it. So. <laughs> okay <laughs> first of all i love eloise so I'm, i don't want to ruin it with my <laughs> but um yeah she she basically creates this character and uh her friend is the one that sets her up and says okay you need to you need to do something about it she's like whatever fine who cares she's not paying attention her friend introduces her to hillary knight and illustrator the illustrator of eloise they meet they get along and then they create Eloise, which is like the most, I I don't know, to me, iconic Plaza yeah. New York it city girl that like everyone, I think every kid in New York who was uh, posh, not posh, but like whatever, wealthy, knew about her. <laughs> Because, uh, I mean, I knew about her because my mom bought the Eloise book. But, you know, I don't think any of my friends know. Like, this wasn't like a thing. Um, but, yeah, it was... It created this story, this girl. They started selling all these Eloise uh, products. And, and they really capitalized on this Eloise character. And it made them a lot of money to this yeah, day. Yeah, they had an Eloise room. Have, and uh, they still make movies. They still make Eloise all, movies. Yeah, they still do. It hasn't been it hasn't been that long since the last Eloise movie was made. Yeah, I don't know if it was like that popular, but it definitely it it has yeah. a following, and I'm definitely one of the followings because I loved Eloise. And um, when I was younger, when I was like 
12 or 11, they had this uh, scavenger hunt in New York about Eloise and you can go to all these places. You buy a pass and you go to all these places and then they give you like a little Eloise toy and I collect it. I wanted to collect them all. <laughs> I think my mom was like, we can't do this all day. Like, we've already been out for hours, but I collected quite a lot of things. And then I have this like whole Eloise collection. Yeah, you posted um, it on the Instagram. And I shared right? it okay, on yeah, Instagram. I was going to say. Yeah, that is my all. That is everything I got from the scavenger hunt. The bag I got from my uncle who worked uh, at the stock exchange and they were doing like some sort of promotional thing. Um, and then anything I found with Eloise or anything that reminded me of Eloise, like the pug little beanie bag or whatever, I would just start <laughs> shoving things in this Eloise bag. I created my own little Eloise doll because I, I couldn't afford the oh, real one. I love it. So I made it out like socks and uh, staples because the real one at the time like cost $50. Oh my gosh. It's, it probably costs even more now. And my mom's not spending $50. <laughs> on a doll. <laughs> on a doll, yeah. So um, Eloise was really dear to my heart. But I will say that Kay Thompson had an interesting had a really interesting life and she ended up staying in the hotel up until the eighties, yeah. I believe. And then she got, yeah, the, she had not been paying, right? She, like she'd been staying there for free she just off rent. of, but no, that was the whole deal, right? Yeah. She created, she this created character Eloise. And like you can live at the hotel. Yeah. Cause they, they made so much but merchandise I, off and like so much off of Eloise that, yeah, I feel like she earned her keep. She did. But I think eventually she kind of became like a recluse. Mm. Like she kind of became weird. And um, I think they, the, her relationships with people kind of disintegrated. And then the hotel, it was going through financial hard times and yeah. it's changing. You can't just, but I mean, I think the way they did it wasn't so great. I don't know. There's a lot of, it's hard to know whose side yeah. you want to be on because, you know, she did create this character, but it's a business. And how can you just give, you know, a free, yeah, free lodging to someone for to decades? Woman. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she lived there for a long time. And then afterwards, she, um, she, I think she was like, you can't use any of my stuff. She was like, no more Eloise yeah. for you, Plaza. And so... I don't, that obviously didn't work. She passed away and then they were like, we're going to do the Eloise thing. But her the Eloise portrait, she was like, you can't write that it's Eloise. But everyone knew it was Eloise. <laughs> and um, so like the, things like that, it was a lot of drama. She, she had a lot of friends, but then, you know, she just, the more I read about her, I think she had a really fascinating life, but she also seemed very strange to yeah. say the least. But Eloise is a she strange is, yeah. character. She's a strange She's little cute, girl. But it's freaking weird. <laughs> like, if you think about it, like this chi child that's essentially uh, an orphan because you don't know where her parents are. And they, she gets stuck living in the hotel and gets to just use it as her personal playground and then call in room service. And she kind of is like this neglected, sad child who acts, who acts out because she, she just, wants someone to love her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like oh i want a turtle which i love turtles because of her but she just has like a turtle and like it's just wears kleenex <laughs> hats and 
I don't know if you ever read the book. Do you know? Oh, you should. People, if you haven't read it, it's so the book itself was never made for kids. It was meant for adults. I mean, it's not inappropriate or anything, but it's not, it wasn't like yeah. to teach kids a lesson. It, it was just ridiculous, actually. <laughs> uh, highly recommend it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Kate Thompson, um, thriving at the time of the 50s and the 60s and whatnot. Just to mention also, before we move on, from Eloise and Kate Thompson. Uh, the famous Eloise portrait was stolen. I think we mentioned this before also in our last episode about it being stolen. And like, it was a bunch of college kids at the time. It was in the fifties. I think they still don't know where it is. The one that's up today, I think is the replacement. And Kate Thompson was, she hung out with all the celebrities. Like, obviously she was the godmother of Liza Minnelli. And as the good godmother, she also was familiar with all the drugs that <laughs> <laughs> all those celebrities like. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think, I don't think it's a coincidence that Judy Garland uh, and, and all these like old actors who were hooked on drugs also, like she was, you know, um, not, I wouldn't say guilty, but she was on drugs. Like she had her vitamin mm. cocktails that the Dr. Feelgood yeah. would give her. And one of those vitamins was uh, methamphetamine. <laughs> so I'm just, you know, it's all connected. Yeah. It all makes yeah. Sense. <laughs> yeah. So she kind of, that's her story. During that time, also, I believe it was just, you know, people living in a hotel doing drugs was normal. I mean, what I don't, it's normal to, it's not normal. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. It's, it was more common, I feel like. The drugs part or the living in a hotel part? Both, <laughs> like that combination. It was just like, like to me, it's a weird, I don't think an, a hotel today would allow that. Um, maybe if they're really filthy rich, but I think back then it was just like. Just oh, the norm. Yeah. yeah. The norm. Uh, yeah, but very interesting character that will lead us into that was the 1950s. I think that was like the yeah. peak of the 1950s. Oh, um, one thing I forgot to mention was uh, this time the the plaza had uh, a chef named uh, Richard Boyardee, and so you oh, you yes. might recognize that name uh, because he is the uh, his family recipe. <laughs> is the spaghetti that is in canned chef Boyardee and it was able to be um, distributed because he served the spaghetti to like a major, I don't know, canned food magnate. I don't know what you call those people, but yeah, no, it was so popular and yeah, they were like, this is amazing. This should be in all the stores and Americans will love it. And at the time during the 1950s, like canned uh, kind of that, the food that we think is really unhealthy today was really popular and partly because of the war things have to be, you know, yeah, they need to be fast and easy and it. yeah. Able to stay for also, long periods of time. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, for moms, mm -hmm. it was like, Oh, I, I don't have to cook as much. I can just pop this 
can open and there's spaghetti. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, the, the TV dinners, stuff like that. So it was really popular and they thought it, it was a great plan and it still exists today. But anyone who makes you feel bad if you eat it, just be like, excuse, excuse me, me. this is a plaza, a plaza recipe. <laughs> yeah. Just eat it with your pinky up. <laughs> there you go. You know, and just be like, this is posh from the 1960s. <laughs> Don't even insult me. Um, yeah. So Chef War ID, am I say War ID or it? It's it, it's Italian, so just say it <laughs> Italian, <laughs> and then they just they ang- they anglic- yeah they anglicized the spelling of it, but the pronunciation I think is still the same. So I'm sure in Italian okay, so the, it is- the emphasis might be somewhere else, like Boyardi or something like that. But they anglicized oh, okay. it to yeah. and changed the spelling to Boyardi. <laughs> Yeah, they they anglicized it yeah. a lot. They put in a yeah. can. Yeah, they changed the name. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, I think uh, I I don't think I've ever had it. Actually, have you? Oh yeah, ever oh eaten? yeah. I grew up eating canned spaghetti <laughs> at my grandpa's house. Oh. That was like the go-to lunches. It looked. It always looked really good to me. My mom would never for and and a major reason is that it's it's not kosher. Oh yeah. So it's like meat sauce and stuff, but, um, I don't, my mom was never into like package stuff like that, but I always wanted to, and I still haven't. So one day I remember it being I'll good, go but you know how it. kids will just eat anything. I have no idea oh if it was actually good or not. It's probably not. Good. No, but it, it, no shame. <laughs> to anyone. Um, so yeah, very, two very interesting things that come out of, plaza that i think make a big impact on american culture and society i think is the the spaghetti in a Mm. can and uh eloise so that's pretty cool i mean i think the plaza has a lot of influence with a lot of things but it was interesting to learn about that yeah, I definitely didn't see Chef Boyardee coming. <laughs> that, no. that was fascinating. We're in the 60s. And what's happening in the hotel during that time? Uh, well, in 62, actually, a small theater opens in the basement of the plaza, which is very bohemian to me. Like, I, I that does not sound to me like something that a really luxurious hotel would do. So it just adds more to even more to the to the this interesting character that the plaza has had through all the all these years um but yeah it was called uh it was called plaza nine and it was actually created to showcase a specific performer named julius monk who did like satiric reviews um but it included other plays um with some interesting names like el grande de coca-cola (laughs) <laughs> and dames at sea so <laughs> i wow. can imagine what types of reviews these were but they did launch the careers of lots of comedians like lily tomlin so got some good stuff out of it really mm-hmm. that was at the same yeah. time oh wow that's really interesting <laughs> yeah I, now i really want someone to find like an old script and put like redo these old plays I want to see what they uh, what they were. Probably horrible, yeah, to be probably. honest. Just by the names, dames at yeah. sea. 
I, uh, yeah, so that's what was going on oh. in the art house world in the basement of the plaza. <laughs> Meanwhile, upstairs. Yeah, upstairs where the rest of the world is. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, yeah, so during the 60s, a big, big band comes around, makes, makes waves. And uh, if you can guess who that is. You will feel really s- smart. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Beatles. <laughs> the Beatles. <laughs> so a little bit before we get into the Beatles, we just want to also mention again, like Hilton owns the plaza from 1943 to 1953. He sells it to Sonny Sonnenben um, for 15 million. And then the manager of the hotel at the time. So now we're going to get into the manager of, of the plaza during this time, he starts out when Conrad is still there. And do you want to tell the story? Yeah, so I think he up? meets, uh, so his name is Alphonse Salomone and he is a uh, elevator operator in new Orleans. And I want to say 47 and Conrad Hilton is staying at this hotel and just really likes, I guess, his his charm or maybe his work ethic it doesn't I, i'm not really sure but he just really liked alphonse and gave him his business card and said hey if you're ever in new york i would love for you to work for me and so alphonse does he moves to new york and immediately looks up hilton and gets on as assistant manager at the plaza and his first day. Oh, and his first day was, was god awful. It was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the worst first day possibly of all time. Um, it starts with uh, there being a dead body found in one of the rooms. It turns out to be um, a playwright. And his uh, Salomone ends up having to try to deal with that and also trying to comfort like the the grieving, I don't know if it was husband or lover. I'm going to say lover because that sounds better. <laughs> sounds more dramatic. Yeah. Play yeah, right. Like yeah. <laughs> so that's how his day starts off. And then there's a strike at the docks. And so now the passenger ships aren't leaving on time. So now none of the plaza guests are checking out like they were supposed to. And all of the incoming guests aren't able to get in, into any rooms. So there's pandemonium from 50 plus guests all yelling at the same time about wanting into their rooms. Oh uh, so God. that keeps going. And then um, later on in the day, a plaza widow decides that this is the, widow. This is the moment. <laughs> this is her moment to address this wrong that is being done to her. She swears that one of the, the housekeepers or maids is purposely ruining the lining of her jacket. It's been sliced open and it's happening all the time. And it's just, it's just old and it's wearing and tearing from as far as <laughs> Solomon can tell. The widows are fucking nuts. <laughs> like they're all nuts. The more stories that come out about them. It's like, even if the guy was horrible, let's say the manager was hard, which he wasn't. I wouldn't even be like on the widow side. I just, I know they're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting about this manager is that he's really involved in the hotel. He does a really good job and his whole family lives there 
They live on the top yeah. floor in like some abandoned suite or something. Yeah, the the I think what is now probably part of someone's condo and it is is very revamped and nice, but at the time was had just one of those rooms that they'd kind of let go. Yeah, I feel like at you know, real estate wasn't the yeah. same in New York. So they were like, "Oh, it, fine now it's like worth 53 million yeah, at the time it was like the maid's quarters salamone is it salamone or salomon Am I i'm gonna guess wrong? since it's italian i think that they pronounce the e's at the end of the words where we don't but i'm not positive salamone. yeah i just imagine it in an in an italian accent and go with that okay so salamone <laughs> every time i laugh when i say his name um he gets an offer that his daughter thinks he should not refuse, but he was like, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and that is for f- uh, four famous British singers to come stay at the plaza. And that's the Beatles. Yeah. So they okay the reservation at first because nobody knows who they are because they made the reservation like months before the Beatles really became like, a, a really Are big sure yeah they didn't, they didn't know or? yeah they or whoever took the reservation i think didn't know and then whenever it got closer to time they realized who it was actually booked for and that's when they were like ah uh, i don't think we can have them stay here that's too much for us yeah people uh they were crazy there was Beatlemania. they were coming in to do the um ed sullivan show the famous Ed Sull- uh, Sullivan show. Sorry. Meeting my words here. I'm so excited to talk about the Beatles. Um, <laughs> yeah, but his uh, his daughter throws a fit when she finds out that he's canceling their reservations. I mean, what did Yeah, you? she was like bawling. I, I would have too. I would have been like, you don't love me if this is what you do. <laughs> I think I would have approached it like... You are missing out on a historic opportunity, and I need to meet them. <laughs> and this is all I want in my life. <laughs> but it ends up being chaos a little bit. Yeah, they do. They do eventually say, "Okay, yes, you guys can stay here." But there was so many people outside the hotel waiting for them. So many girls trying to sneak into the hotel. Yeah, just hanging out um, in the lobby. Biting yeah, their time, the widows not knowing who they are, what's going on, or what decade yeah. they're in. Uh, <laughs> and the funny thing is, when they kick out the girls that are trying to like cl- like sneak in. Yeah, I think they like snuck a, into some boxes, right? They're like trying to hide themselves. Oh, they only found that out later, so they they're like, "We have a package for them," and they're like, "Who are you?" <laughs> uh, knowing who, like these are just TV. They're like, "No, we have a package," and they're like, "No, get out." So the girls holding the package were like, "Fine," and then a girl pops out of the actual <laughs> box that they're setting up, and then people try to like scale the building or something. It was insane. Girls, teenage girls are crazy, yeah. but this sounds like another level. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, like the Beatles are probably some of the quietest rock star guests the Plaza has ever had. They just like yeah. keep ordering tea and Coke and that's in the, they jumped on the bed. Coca-Cola, yeah. not Coke, that other Coke. <laughs> yeah, Coca-Cola. <laughs> sorry, not that Coke. <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, yeah. They're very polite. They everything was fine when they left they didn't damage the hotel uh when they got there uh they got 
to meet Salamani's kids. Um, and I think one of them didn't even realize who they were meeting. It, it was like so funny, just like probably later on the kids are like, oh, I mean, other than yeah, the, daughter, the daughter knew, but yeah, the, her younger that. brother, I think was just like, okay, cool. <laughs> he, he saw everything as a business opportunity. Once he realized he started selling everything yes. that they touched and people would buy it. And he even claimed they touched things that they never yes. touched. And he's like, oh yeah, this pillowcase. And it was like his pillowcase. Yeah. His, not the Beatles. <laughs> and everyone's like, I'll buy it from you. Um, so smart kids, they definitely took advantage of the Beatles coming over, which I, I kind of think is really funny. Um, and also during that time, they so the kids got to meet three of the Beatles there because John Lennon, being John Lennon, went in disguise with a ski mask in the crowd, so no one knew it was him, and he's just yep, walking and getting away. But like, who walks around with a ski mask and you don't ask questions? What? Yeah, what month was it? Was it really cold at the time? I think it was rainy, or I don't know if that was a different event that happened, but I'm not sure. It must so maybe it was weather appropriate. <laughs> yeah. They were like, oh, okay. But isn't that funny? Like, imagine John Lennon sitting next to you while you're like screaming for the Beatles. He's like, what's going on? And you're like, oh my God, it's the Beatles. How do you not know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, so fun things. Uh, I think it was really good for business, but I think it was incredibly overwhelming for the staff. And uh, for everyone who worked yeah. there. I love that yes. they are very accustomed to royalty and know exactly how to handle that situation. But rock stars, that's a different story. I think, yeah, it, it definitely felt like this is something that I've never had to deal with. But I also think that um, the Beatles was like a whole new thing. Yeah. And, just like in general, there was never anything quite like it. And I think that it was the start of the rock band coming to hotels and kind of like, I, I don't think they knew how bad it could get. Yeah. You know, they were like, oh, because I think if it was the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin, uh, they would have been like, no, we don't want you to ruin our hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think it was just the start. So they kind of didn't even know what they were getting into. And they were British, so they were polite. They made a good impression. I think they could have fooled some people into believing that all musical bands are so nice and proper. Yeah. They're really not. <laughs> but it, it sounded like a, a really fun experience. Like if you got to live in New York or even be around that, just to see that happening. And, uh, you know, it does. The manager's kids got to bring their friends. Yeah. Like they got to witness all this stuff happening. It was really cool to, to experience that. That must have been such a great childhood. Yeah. So after the Beatle pandemonium ends, there's other festivities happening at the plaza. Plaza is the location for one of the most famous parties like of the century. And yeah. that is the black and white ball. By Truman Capote. Yes. So uh, for those of you that don't know, Truman Capote uh, is a very famous writer who wrote In Cold Blood, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, Truman Capote wanted this to be the event. He wanted to 
really make it stand out in everybody's mind for years to come. But I guess he felt like it would be a little too conceited to host a party for himself. So he makes it in honor of Catherine Graham, who uh, was the publisher of the Washington Post. But it doesn't really say like why it's in her honor like she, she hadn't done, she'd been the the publisher for like three years at that point so it wasn't like her new job <laughs> he just needed it they, they were really good friends right yeah so i guess I he was, was like they wanted to make a party yeah they yeah, just wanted to have a party very self-involved and he knew <laughs> this and he was like we'll make it for you but yeah so it's, um, the guest list ends up having 540 people on it but because obviously he didn't feel like he could invite everyone, but it becomes the most sought after invitation of probably the decade. Like people were offering money. They were threatening uh, to commit suicide if they didn't get invited. It was, it was insane. It was dramatic. Yeah. It was a little over the top. It was very over the top. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Cause I think the party itself cost like $11,000. Oh, right? wow. It cost like 10000 something like that. And someone offered to pay that much just, just to get invited. He's like, no. Oh, my goodness. So he knew he yeah. was, what he was doing. This he wasn't just it. like a money-making business. It was like status. Oh, yeah. He was really into being cool. He loved cool. it. Yeah. And so yeah. much so that so like who, even like he would invite one person, but then not invite their significant other. So it was like causing <laughs> strife in families. <laughs> he loved the yeah. drama. That would have been such a great reality TV oh, show. Oh yeah. Um, so who were who were some of the people on this guest? Um, list? Frank Sinatra. I, re- I remember for sure. There was all. I mean, there were. It really like it took all of his social circles and just shoved them together because there was writers, musicians, politicians, yeah. socialites, and it was also uh, a combination of old Hollywood and the older generation mixed with the mm-hmm. younger generation. So people who are still alive today have gone to this party. Um, I think Betsy Johnson was there. Uh, like all these young models. Um, I, every single famous person during the 1960s. Uh, oh, and soon to be famous yeah. person. <laughs> where it, They were there. It, it was in, an insane guest list. I think every designer, Andy Warhol, um, Lauren Bacall, mm-hmm. uh, who else? It, it, like politicians, uh, Linda Bird Johnson. Apparently, that's that was the president's daughter. Yeah. But that's he excluded her boyfriend, <laughs> the actor George Hamilton. Like that is such a specific move, right there. Like, what were you trying to prove? <laughs> I guess he just didn't like him. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's um, definitely Gloria one way to tell your one of your friends that you don't care for their <laughs> partner. I think, it, yeah, it's like he s- probably said something mean to him or something he didn't yeah. like. And he was like, no, you're not, not invited to the coolest party of the world of all time. Um, of famous authors. He was also because he was an author. There was Norman Mailer and like all these other people. <laughs> Uh, princesses. Um, yeah. I mean, but then also just regular people. Everyone. Like he, inv- he invited his doorman from his apartment building. 
So you, I mean, these regulars. Because he's the keeper of all the yeah. secrets. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, that doorman knows everything. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe he didn't invite them necessarily just to be nice, but to be like, you know, you know how to handle situations. Yeah. And also maybe, because if, if let's say the doorman comes, he'll know who pissed off Truman Capote and yeah. who he likes and doesn't like. And then later on, when he's working, it's like, oh, I want to see Truman. And he'll be like, I remember you from the party and you ain't saying him because you were a dick. <laughs> um, <laughs> like he needed to keep him yeah. in the know. <laughs> um, oh, I think, I think that uh, I, I was mistaken. The party cost $16,000 oh and he was offered $11,000 by someone. Uh, and he said, no, no thanks. And even after the party ended, I think the party was up until like 3.30. Yeah. There were after parties and everyone went to different locations, like depending on who you, your circle was. You went to like the hole in the wall bar with like Frank Sinatra yeah. or like the, this club or this apartment. And just, man, I, I would have loved to be a fly on the oh, wall. Yeah. Like that would be so cool. So the manager's daughter got to stay up and watch us all yeah. happen. What a cool childhood she had. Wow. <laughs> but as fun as this was, there was some backlash to his party because it was kind of like at a time, it was, I believe, 1968, mm-hmm. right? So right afterwards, people, a lot of people were just kind of like making fun of it or... um you know, after they weren't invited, they were like, oh, okay, we weren't invited. While you're having your party, there's like a serious war going around because it was the start of the Vietnam yeah. War. So now it starts to be later. seen as first it was, you know, the last great American party full of glamour, but now it's starting to look very tasteless and frivolous. Like so happy that you guys get to have, you know, your fun, fickle lives full of parties that don't matter. The rest of us are dealing with the real world. Yeah. I, especially like racial tensions mm-hmm. were growing and, and yeah, Vietnam War, War and all that stuff. And, but that actually did affect Truman Capote. Like he, he did feel bad and he ended up, I mean, he had a lot of issues. He ended up uh, being an alcoholic and I think he, he died of, um, of drug use and alcoholism. And it was sad. I, I, I don't, it wasn't his fault. Like all this shit was happening and he had, he was cool enough to make a party. Like, I don't think he was like a terrible person because no, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, he just wanted to have a fun party and yeah, just made it a little too public. Yeah. But also, I think maybe they were just butthurt, yeah. like the people who weren't invited. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, well, you're so, you just don't care about like things. It's kind of, it was kind of like virtue signaling yeah. for the time. And eh, I don't know, that doesn't make you a better person because you were invited to the party. So you <laughs> have to like bring you down another person. Um, but it's sad, but it, it's still. I think I would have loved to go to that party. I would have. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And and the whole, like, that was really the end of an era, I think. Uh, The world is changing drastically, you know, during this time. A lot of uh, 
things are happening. We got people fighting for civil rights. Uh, we're getting, you know, people who are in the streets trying to protest, protest the war. Mm-hmm. That's what I was looking for, the word protest. And then protest other things like, I mean, amongst a lot of segregation happening, but um, Betty for Dan, the feminist, she goes to the Oak Room, the Plaza Oak Room, which is still segregated for men and women and makes a reservation with her like groupies, a feminist. And they they let her in. She sits down, but they take away her table. Yeah. Like they took they took the reservation because and they didn't I guess they just assumed she was someone's secretary making a reservation. And so they took the reservation and then were shocked when it was actually women coming in to eat. So yeah, they they let them sit down and then just took their table away. So they all just kept sitting in the shape of the table waiting to see what would happen next and i think some like some men started like offering them food off of their tables and stuff but yeah eventually they were finally like well okay well i guess we're gonna leave now we (laughs) we like made our point yeah and they ended up protesting outside like don't worry we've been feeding ourselves for years yeah oh we have been using knives and forks for years fellas don't worry we'll pay our way yeah. It's like cute yeah, little their like sign. Yeah. But um if no one knows, Betty Friedan is the one who wrote the feminine mis- feminine mystique. mystique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super famous feminist book. So oh, and eventually after this, a few months later, they yeah, did it was it in almost no time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. then then it was women could come at but whenever they wanted. I think I think there was two things happening. I think the hotel itself didn't care they weren't like we want traditional ways but i think they had a bunch of rich traditional men who were like this is a boys club we like it that way but they also thought ahead they're like yeah but how many of you are left like the world is changing we need to have these female diners because we need the money yeah like we're losing out on a bunch of money because women aren't allowed to eat here and you guys are old and dying out and i think i mean I also think that sure the manager and everyone thinks it's morally wrong. There shouldn't be, you know, segregation, but I think there was a lot of other things at play. And I think eventually like just logic. Yeah. Logic and capitalism. (laughs) They're like, this is a lot of money sitting on the table. Yeah. And that kind of ends. Yeah. um, Oh, one on a good note. Yeah. One, another great thing that happened in 69 was that the plaza officially became a New York city landmark. So they they weren't allowed to, um, change any of the outside of the facade so that way because tons of of old buildings were getting raised to the ground and so that new apartment buildings could be built so everyone was freaking out about that and they got the plaza protected oh yeah that's true a lot of um old historic hotels were getting they were getting knocked down and changed Mm -hmm. in general right yeah apartment buildings yeah skyscrapers like out with the old and with the new that's that's great i think yeah a lot of people were getting worried because like you see this beautiful old building i mean even just reading about it all these mansions and these things that existed when the plaza started out it doesn't exist yeah. anymore and i'm just like well where did it go that's so much cooler than just this yeah a target yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever yeah. um yeah that's that's good for the plaza but that also causes some future problems, but it is what it is. I, I'm in support of not having, like, don't destroy. The yeah. 
keep it keep somewhat like of the historical aspects to it even if you need to change it on the inside and like update the plumbing yeah sure sure <laughs> but other than just that, don't destroy the yeah the, the beauty of it to make it yeah steel <laughs> boring steel and, and also some of the modern designs of things i'm just like no, yeah no let it have some character okay so now the 60s are over tension the tensions in the country around the world have definitely reached a peak there's war going on and now we enter the rocky road of the 70s yeah <laughs> tough tough decade for everybody um, you think that's when they developed that ice cream flavor <laughs> that would make so much sense although i feel like they should have made one named after serial killers i feel like the 70s was just all serial killers yeah yeah just, um, but there was um, one happy thing uh <laughs> in 1971 <laughs> uh the plaza's publicist decides to do a publicity stunt so she makes a reservation for l e fant and they forgot to tell <laughs> they forgot to tell the clerk on duty that this was happening so they bring in an elephant as a guest of the plaza and the clerk refuses to check the elephant in and is like what is going oh on here no get this thing out of here and so they finally like someone clues her in on it and they're like no 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 it's a thing we're doing this it's a it's been approved so they finally let the elephant in and they like put her on a service elevator and uh send her up and then bring her back down and take her out the back how big was this elephant and how small what? enough to fit in the surface elevator? Yeah, the, the elevator, because I remember the book said specifically how many pounds the elevator <laughs> could handle and the elephant was less. Oh, okay. So it must have been like a baby elephant. Yeah, I'm sure it was a very little elephant. I don't think a fully I mean, grown elephant could have. A very little elephant. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was maybe like a little, like a baby one. Probably and, so, uh, yeah. so that's yeah so that's fun and cute and that's the last probably the last fun and cute thing that happened at the plaza for a while that is such a weird stunt i know they didn't really talk about the logic behind it not really sure what i mean the plaza is well known for being animal friendly but i don't know that they need to remind people that they allow jungle animals in because that was that didn't work out well yeah, and I think at this time, the, the um, Sonnabend is still owning the hotel, and yes. it's now his son is starting to yes, yeah, manage his, it. Uh, yes, his son Roger has taken over when when Sonnabend Senior died. Okay, so that's where weird shit starts to happen. Like not weird shit in like a spooky way, but just definitely. Yeah, they're experimental. You know, the plaza's, yeah, experimental. They're they're trying some things out. Yeah, I mean, it's at the uh, time, like also, New York City at the time was on the verge of bankruptcy, and right. the plaza was in the red. It was not making money, so you know they took this as an opportunity to think maybe they needed to modernize the plaza a little bit. Like maybe it was too stuffy and old fashioned. So, uh, yeah. So Roger uh, goes after specifically. Um, which room was it that he was it the Edwa- Edwardian room? I thought it was the Persian room. 
No, the Persian room stays stays as it is until it closes. Because oh, it was one of it the dining. The I think it was yes, the Edwardian, the Edwardian room, room. Yeah, that he takes out all of the or covers up all of the beautiful oak and you know the old fashioned look it had going for it and she turned it into the tulip room. And so it's lots of Which green and pink, right? And pink <laughs> and velvet. <laughs> yeah, and, Ima- and yeah. People- imagine a colorful seventies, and that's what you've got. Yeah, people were horrified. There was like literally an article <laughs> Did not written. Like it. <laughs> this man is raping the closet. Yeah. Um, and he's like, "I'm not. Relax." Like people yeah. are very uh, protective over the closet. I mean, yeah, I they don't like change. Do and I, I give him credit, but it was def- it wasn't the right move. Yeah. For- He should have probably done a focus group or something to see how people were going to take it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I think also mentioning the Persian room, it was the Persian room was um, not doing very well. (laughs) Yeah. No, they were losing so much money, like $800,000 a week. Is that what it was? A month? I think it was a, a, a year. It might have been a I year. Hope so. Okay. A month. Lord, I hope no, no, I think it was a like month. a year. <laughs> if they if it took them that long to close it, I say not do this. I think yeah, it was a year. I think, you know, like the supper club vibe, the dinner and a show kind of um way of doing th- it was out of style. I mean, the seventies yeah. was in modern times. Um well, also, the, was, the Persian room was one of the only places that offered dinner and a show that late. Like the second show would start at midnight and you wouldn't get out until 2 or 3 a.m. And that was starting to be really dangerous in 1970s oh, New York. Right. So I yeah, think that, true. yeah, so I think that they no. just didn't have people just weren't willing to, to risk it as much anymore. So they in, in 78, they closed the Persian room. And I think it became a Studebaker dealership for a minute and then a dress shop. Yeah, I think it had a, a, a lot of different re- replacements. It's now I believe the champagne room or the rose bar or something where the lobby is. Yeah, I think, I think so. it's the rose bar. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's it definitely it doesn't exist at yeah, all anymore. It's and it, but um, it's there. It's been a lot of things, and um, uh, the thing is, is that the Persian room also those you know like the old act Hildegard like these things were old and stuffy. The yeah, like this cabaret you style have a musical. Like you can't have uh, rock and roll bands play at the Persian room. Yeah. <laughs> And that's what people were doing. I mean, at at least that's what I think. (laughs) I'm assuming this is why it didn't work out. Yeah. And I I think that the crowd that enjoyed that was probably a lot older by then. And they weren't going out (laughs) and staying out until three o'clock in the morning anymore. I mean, there was chaos in New York. It was disgusting. There was a lot of strikes. Yeah. There's a lot Uh, of garbage. Garbage strike. (laughs) (laughs) There was just sound. Yeah. Awful <laughs> <laughs> crime is up. It was uh, it was a bad time for New York, and I think that with a lot of crime, a lot of drugs, and piles and piles of garbage, uh, I even in front of the plaza, and the yeah. plaza would get held up, and 
you know, people would get robbed and a lot of craziness happened in this really fancy, nice part of New York. So I yeah, think that there was saw. even like a like a a pop up marketplace would happen at night in front of the Pulitzer Fountain where people were like selling hot dogs and and trinkets and drugs. <laughs> so it was just not not quite the same as it had been. Yeah, lots of drugs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm sure people who were staying at the hotel were like, I'm just going to go for a quick walk, <laughs> get some snacks and yeah. my drugs and come back and, you know, <laughs> have a nice evening. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how people lived in the city at that time. And my parents lived in the city. My mom lived, I think, in the Upper East Side. And my dad lived in the village. He... uh he lived, he was squatting in a building with the Hells Angels. Oh. Or at least they were there. Yeah. Um, I, I told you the story before, yeah. but I wanted to just mention it. Like, this is the time of New York where it was not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And there was a hostage situation, too. So there was oh, yeah. a hostage situation in 72. The bomb threat happens in 73. These constant, like, robberies going on. So... Yeah, if you if you can if, if if that was happening at the plaza, I'm at I can't imagine what the rest of New York was like. Also, during this time, there was an assassination attempt against the son of the Chinese nationalist leader Chiang Kai Shek. Uh, the attack took place at the plaza. So when he was trying to go into entering the plaza, the revolving door doors, um, a, a Taiwanese. I guess a uh, citizen or something tried to shoot at him does not succeed. But the man, this guy trying Chang Kai Shek continues on doing what he was there to do, which was like have a speech or something. And he just like, doesn't mention the fact that he almost got shot at. I mean, almost wow. died. He did get shot at. Um, that is, they did. Uh, I think find the guy who tried to assassinate him though. But yeah, it's, it kind of like, I feel like the world was just out of control. Yeah. You know, it just sounds like anything goes. People are like, I'm done. I want to just <laughs> do what I want to do. And I'm going to shoot and kill whoever I want. I don't care. <laughs> Imagine if the internet had existed back then the way it does now. Oh, my God. Well, I actually think that this is a very not, but I don't think people will agree with this. I think the internet uh, keeps most bad people too preoccupied fighting in the comments, <laughs> actually. So I always say this, people are like, yeah, you know, it, it fuels hate and it does. But at the same time, if these people were too busy, like fighting some troll in the comments, I mean, they're the mm. troll, but there's also the trolls of the trolls. Yeah. I'd yes. rather you sit, be sitting at home three o'clock in the morning, be like, meh, 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 than like, I have a gun right now. I'm going to go shoot up right. forever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Obviously, horrible things happen either way. But I think that they didn't have the internet and they had too much time on it. <laughs> <laughs> they were nothing to distract them. There was also this doctor uh, who was staying at the hotel. And someone tried to stab him. Um, and mug him. I believe like both at the same time. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, so people in general, like, just 
so many things and so many things in the news and just New York being, this is, I think, where New York, I mean, it got its reputation before as well, but it really peaked in the 70s. So people are like, I don't really want to go and visit New York if I don't have to. And it showed because people stayed away. They were losing um, a lot of money. Um, You know, like the the occupancy rate dropped to about 65%. Uh, It was in the red, as you said. It it was just, it was losing millions of dollars. It, It wasn't good. It was not yeah. a good time. Yeah. Um. The the owner of the plaza though was um at least uh trying to do something <laughs> to make the world a better place. Uh, Roger Sonnabend was uh quite the activist actually. He was very much against the war, uh, and he was a civil rights proponent. Uh, he actually created a company wide goal of hiring 150 black executives. I think by the end of the decade. So he was, uh, or at least by the end of, of his reign there, because they did end up selling the plaza in the mid 70s. But yeah, so he was doing his part to at least try to make things a little bit better. Yeah, he he seemed to be pretty like liberal. And he also went from like having this kind of more traditional life to, you know, the more hippie life. He like leaves his wife and kids. And, yeah, he like went through a uh, midlife crisis, I think. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it. Every time I read about that, like in the book, I think of Mad Men. I yeah. think of Mad Men a lot yeah. <laughs> when I was reading this, um, and how you see the change of this like traditional family man, and just in general how the culture is and what's popular, and then slowly like also it was taken. It took place in in New York, so you know, like the, just so many similarities and how things have changed drastically. Yeah. So, yeah, so now the plaza is going to change hands again in 75. That's when Weston buys the plaza uh, for $25 million. So the price is steadily increasing. Uh, if you remember, Sonnabend bought it for $15 million, I believe. So it's now $25 yeah. million. Um, and they spend $32 million refurbishing it, trying to... It was just, I mean, it was crumbling. So they were trying so hard to yeah. bring it back some of its glory. I mean, that makes sense. It wasn't doing well. And then also this guy's, his, I think his goals in life shifted. It was no yes. longer like, let's meet the plaza. You know, he had other yeah. interests and um, yeah, just sounds, yeah, but- it sounds about right that it would be in such bad shape. Yeah. Still a good uh, businessman though, because they uh, did not sell the Everett Shin murals in the Oak Room along with the plaza. They said, no, we're, we're keeping those, which Weston Hotels was like, okay, fine. We don't care. Um, but then it actually turned out to be a really big deal because the New York citizens did care and they wanted those murals in the plaza. So uh, they, the Weston had to shell out uh, an additional million dollars to get those back. Yeah, that was uh, smart on his and son of it. <laughs> he, he just made a million dollars. It's funny how the New Yorkers, the the ones that are like, no, it has to be there. And it's just like, I'm not saying it, it's not important and it's not a part of history, but you can also replace with other works of art. Yeah, there's you know? other art out there. But yeah, public outrage seems to be a big swear of what happens to the plaza. Well, because they have power. Yeah. Because it's usually like they're represented by something or someone 
or they have influence with a union or a group. And then that's where things get tricky. Yeah. Because I think if it was just a group of people being like, boo, let's keep this. The plaza would be like, no. <laughs> Here's some tea. They'll go away. Um, <laughs> but they, they, the people who are in charge come across unions and um, organizations so often that cause trouble. They know not to mess with them. Yeah. It's not going to be, it's not going to go down well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I guess as we move into the 80s, things kind of, they start to recover. Finally, uh, everything, there's kind of an economic boom, I think. And ev- New York recovers, the plaza recovers um, so much so that that it actually sells for an incredibly, I would say, inflated price. <laughs> <laughs> the next time it sells uh, in 1988, which is to Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, yeah. How much does he buy it for? Uh, so Weston bought it for 25 million in 75 in 88. Trump buys it for 407 million. Damn. Okay. So the economy did bounce back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, wow. and Trump definitely overpaid for it. Like, he wanted it real bad. Yeah. No, Trump had, um, uh, it was his Mona Lisa. Yeah. Letter, like that's what, you know, that's what he, what he called it. Yeah. I think that's what he called it. Yeah. He was obsessed. Um, I think he was, he also had this like New York rich childhood and, um, he remembers going to the plaza and had fond memories. And it also represents this like, you know, the olden glory days of wealthy, bored people. Um, <laughs> I love the plaza. I do. But <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Don't hate me. <laughs> I'm just saying it definitely represents this kind oh, of yeah. like old rich person that he relates to or wants to be. And it's very classy. And I think he wants to be this classy person. I mean, he's not. But he definitely aspires to that lifestyle. Yeah. Or what he thinks it is. Yeah. So now we are entering the 80s. And probably, in my opinion, one of the most interesting (laughs) points in in the plaza's history. How do you feel about it? I think it's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 1975, Weston buys it from Sonnabend. And then 1988, Trump buys it from Weston. Mm-hmm. But before Trump is Trump, he actually offers half-jokingly to Weston or someone Weston knows, I'll buy the plaza for, from you for $50 million. And the Weston says, no. And who's Donald Trump? <laughs> few years later <laughs> he's a little bit better known <laughs> yeah uh, and he, he definitely spent more than 50 million dollars on it yeah that's like a crazy drop jump though right yeah but i i feel like was the plus even worth 
No, no, I think I think everybody had valued it at around like 250 million or something, but not 400 million. But he was in a was he in a bidding war with someone? There were some other interested parties. Yeah. And I think he just wanted to just give the biggest possible number so that nobody else could stand a chance. Right, right. He was really he loves yeah, the plaza. He was, I think he still does. Yeah, he was obsessed. He wasn't gonna let this opportunity slip him by. He did end up buying it for for the four hundred million. Um, or to be more specific, four hundred and ninety-five thousand dollars per hotel room. Oh wow. Big money. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but he, at the time he had he had no problem at this point securing that money. Like the banks were just foaming at the mouth to get to work with him because he has this real estate empire. So they were just throwing money at him. Like he, he didn't have to put, I don't think any of any of his personal money or guarantees, like they were, banks were just like, we want a piece of the pie. We want the action. Here's all the money you need. Yeah. It was um, definitely a, they thought he was too big to fail. Yeah. But it turns out he makes a dent. Yeah. He definitely, (laughs) The bigger you are, the harder you fall. Uh Yeah. And uh, he he does end up owing personal money. Like financially, he puts his own money in. But that's a little later where he gets into financial troubles. Yeah. The first thing he does when he buys the plaza is he puts his wife, Ivana Trump, in charge. Yes, he makes her the president. And that was an interesting experience for those who worked there. Yeah, she she kind of had a (laughs) a Miranda Priestly Devil Wears Prada vibe, (laughs) from what I understand. She definitely wanted to improve the place. She did. I mean, she really uh, made a lot of uh, good changes to it aesthetically, but she definitely expected things done a certain way and done quickly. And like, there's even a story of her, you know, she, she can see the plaza from Trump tower. And so she'll, she would every morning, she would get a pair of binoculars and inspect the property from there. And if she saw anything amiss, she would make a phone call and, you know, tell them fix this immediately. Yeah. She was a micromanager to say the least. People were not so happy working under her. Um, And I think a lot of people quit. Because of her, she she just sounded. She might have done really well for the plaza, but for the employees, people, <laughs> employees, yeah, it was. It sounded stressful, and then it got even more stressful when her and Trump had marital issues. Yes, and, yeah. because then the employees had two bosses. Basically, Trump would tell them one thing, Ivana would tell them something else, and they're not sure which one they're supposed to listen to. A lot. He definitely, I, I don't know if it was Ivana or Trump himself that they kind of made it a little like, they like put gold everywhere. <laughs> that was Ivana. Yeah. Well, she had uh, real and real gold too. She had them remove the, the fake gold uh, accents and replace it with, with real gold. Oh, okay. That's not so bad. Yeah. I don't know why I thought it was like a lot worse than it was. Um, I think because uh, they, there was a, a an article that I think they they like dubbed her style um, hot excess because she made it wanted to make it classy and fancy, but then she went over the top with it. Like all of the ashtrays, there was a person whose job it was to just go 
from ashtray to ashtray. Keep in mind, this is the 80s. So people were smoking indoors oh, yeah. to, that had stamping, like cleaning this the ashtrays and stamping them with the plaza seal like all day long. That's what they had to do is make sure that there could never be more than like two cigarette butts in, a, in an ashtray. Oh, my God. Yeah, she was really into it. Yeah. Um, like she showed them how she wanted the bathroom's floors to be scrubbed. Like she got down on her hands and knees and showed them what she wanted. Right. Yeah. Very, very particular. Yeah. Woman. Um, she also had something to prove because I think that for her, it was like, I'm not just some trophy wife. I'm now the manager of the hotel and I'm going to show you that I know what I'm doing and I'm a real businesswoman. And I think her and Trump had this like, I need to prove myself. It's a complex going on constantly. Mm-hmm. Like this is what rich, powerful people do. They make it difficult for everyone. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and she definitely had to prove herself after he gave her the position. He had a, you know, a, a basically made a statement to the press saying that I'm going to pay her a dollar and all the dresses she can buy for her salary. So he gave her this amazing position and then immediately um denigrated her so yeah because he's a dick uh (laughs) i'm sorry we're not (laughs) sophisticated but no that is that's kind of mean of of him yeah oh absolutely Um, seriously really hard and it's not like yeah she had been managing uh, one of his casinos in atlantic city before he moved her to the plaza so it's not like she didn't have any experience and he just was giving her something to do like she was she was good at it a few years in they start to have marital problems and i think that that start you know that causes some issues and um oh so the former president starts uh seeing someone else on the side Mm -hmm. yeah he actually uh he they had just like finalized their fourth nuptial agreement like a few days before he started having his affair. Oh, oh, that was like before, right before. Wow. He really yeah. is a bad person. Um, <laughs> but what, so he starts dating, having this affair with Marla Maples, this socialite actress, um, keeps her around not far from the plaza and where he lives. Yeah. In a different and hotel that he owned, like three minutes walk from the plaza. What is the point of their relationship that starts to go south? There was something that happened. I think she found out about it. I think she found out about the affair. Yeah, but weren't they in Atlantic City? And he threatened her about, or is that a different? Oh, um, I think, oh, that was uh, actually that happened whenever he moved her to the plaza. She was managing Atlantic City. Is that is that what you mean? Where he told her, like, uh, you come home. He's like, oh, you have to take care of your kids. Yeah, yeah. So when he, that's one of the reasons he moved her to the plaza from Atlantic City is because he wanted her to be around more. Like, they were barely seeing each other because uh, she was always in Atlantic City and he was always in New York. So he wanted her to come home. He was he basically told her, you need to come home and uh, be a wife and take care of your kids and, and be here. And so I think their marital problems already existed and then this affair i think just made them so much worse yeah and he was not that subtle about it like everyone knew in the plaza they all knew 
Yeah. Um, and then when she did find out, <laughs> he uh, tried to fire her. Yeah, right? he tried. To, yeah, he tried to fire her from her job at the plaza, and like she, they like locked her out of her office, and all of the employees aren't <laughs> sure like who they're supposed to be listening to. It was just, yeah. They definitely brought their drama to work. <laughs> oh my god! Imagine like cranky Ivana walking around. She's already a high maintenance to yeah. begin with. Um, but also uh, not well to mention. Trump and her got married at the plaza. They get divorced, and guess where Trump and Marla Maples gets married? Oh my gosh! At the plaza <laughs> in her territory. He basically tells her to go fuck herself. And when they get divorced, um, after they negotiated their prenup like multiple times, if if he finds out that he cheated or whatever, whatever the you know the agreement was, is that he has to pay her ten million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when they got divorced, he had to pay her and he would go on to say he's such a good ex-husband because he paid his ex-wife uh, $10 million. And who would do such a thing? Such an amazing person does that. It's like, sir, you had a contract. Yeah. And if you didn't uphold that contract, then you would have been sued. That doesn't make you a good person. <laughs> Just, you, like, you did the you, bare minimum of what you yeah. agreed to. <laughs> um, you cheated. Like, you're, yeah. you're a piece of booby. Yeah. And you got caught. And then, it, just like the way he said it was so Trump. Yeah. Like, whatever. Um, just, he He's was. Just the greatest ex-husband. The greatest ex-husband of all time. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's good for Ivana for. She knew. She probably knew what was gonna go down. I, I mean, probably so. The fact that like she had just because they reneg- they renegotiated their their prenup four times. So the fact that that she kept upping how much she was gonna have to pay her if they got divorced <laughs> makes me think that she was like, okay, I need to I need to protect myself even further from this, or I need to make it like I really need to make it hurt if this goes down. Yeah. I mean, he, um, it sounded every time he would do something, she probably negotiate every time he would pull some shit and she's like, you sure you yeah. want to do that? Okay. <laughs> it's going to cost you. Let's, let's raise the bar here. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was not, a, in my opinion, not a good businessman. So yeah, drama is going down. Uh, and th- that's personal drama, but then financially, how is the plaza doing? Oh my gosh. Just the whole, well, the whole real estate market is not doing great. So there's a recession going on. The real estate market collapses. There's that savings and loan crisis going on. Okay. So all of these things are happening at the same time, um, which all add up to Trump owing $1 billion in personally guaranteed funds and several billion total so across his real estate empire he now owes so much money uh because they kept just throwing it at him and he would he would take it and he's not a good businessman yeah i hate to say it no i don't hate to say it i love to say it because he's not and he (laughs) ends up doing something really bad for the plaza and that is basically making the plaza go bankrupt yeah the first time in history 
Yeah, they, they'd been close on a couple of other occasions, but they had made it um, 80 years at this point without yeah. over 80 years without actually going bankrupt ever. And it finally they happens. survived the Depression. Yeah, they um, Couple world wars. They survived like, the seventies. I mean, New York they, City almost went bankrupt. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> but they couldn't survive Trump. Couldn't survive Trump. Who could? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was not not good. He becomes also. He's in a lot of poopy. Um, he's in deep shit. Is what I'm trying to be politely yeah. saying. But this is what I mean. <laughs> he owes a lot of money. Obviously, as you said. And the way he's behaving is like how desperate yeah. um, troubled men behave and they become paranoid. And yes. so when he finds out pe- like the, his competitors that want to buy out or buy the plaza from him, he starts spying on them. Yeah. Well, and he also he tries to identify to find like a new buyer before his creditors can, because he thinks that if he can find the buyer that he can negotiate with them to let him stay on as a manager or to at least let him uh, do build the condos because he wanted he had the first idea of turning the top the a lot of the plaza Mm -hmm. rooms into condos. And so he was hoping he could get this new buyer to partner with him and let him do that. So um, he's trying to outmaneuver the creditors and find a new buyer first. Um, and he found a company that was interested, this uh, this um, immensely rich uh, Asian company called uh, Sun Hung Kai and Company, which was run by three brothers. And he actually got one of the brothers to come over with his family and stay at the plaza to talk about it. And so they put them inside the presidential suite that Ivana had redone and it was gorgeous and elegant. But the door to their room got stuck and they couldn't get it open. And they had to call somebody up to basically hack it open (laughs) with an axe. And the family was so freaked out and traumatized that they were like, no, obviously this isn't going to happen. And they left. And so when they went and told Trump what had happened, he freaks out and just runs over to the plaza and starts firing people. He was firing people who didn't even work there. He was like telling guests they were fired. Oh my god. Yeah, he and like, that's how the apprentice. apprentice. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he he kept that line <laughs> for syndication later. I, mean, I understand the frustration, but he obviously has no control over his emotions. Um but yeah, yeah. I forgot about that story. But yeah, but then that's- after that, so that falls through. He can't find any other buyers obviously. And yeah, he has uh one of his employees uh start spying on the the uh, business people that the, that his creditors are in negotiations with. So um, this like was Nixon style. yeah, like this was um, a guy named Quek from Singapore and a Saudi prince named Al- Prince Al Walid. Uh, they were talking about partnering to buy the plaza together, and so they stay at the plaza to do these negotiations, and they're staying in the Vanderbilt suite. And there's a secret room in this suite that uh, that Trump's employee had been told about. And so he hides out in this suite, in the secret room, 
and listens to their plans. And he finds out that they are talking about getting $100 million from a bank as part of their loan. And so he calls that same bank and asks for a $100 million loan for the plaza and confuses the bank employees because now they've had two phone calls about this and they don't know what's going on. So he's like trying to ruin their chances of getting this money. Uh, They even call the fire department and report that there's a fire at the plaza to break up the negotiations that are going on. So the the, man. Yeah. So the fire department comes over and makes everyone leave the plaza for days saying that there's going to be structural damage. It's going to be unstable. (laughs) Yeah. So um, they, they did a lot to try to a lot of shenanigans. (laughs) Well, he just sounds like, it's like, oh, you're bad at business, so now you're gonna make it difficult yeah. for everyone else. Like, yeah, and, and he he only stopped because his banks found out what he was doing and called him and were like, "Look, if you ever want us to help you with any other of your real estate deals, or like if you don't want us to basically um, take everything from you, like right now you're losing the plaza, but we can make it where you lose everything else, then you need to stop it's a this." Yeah, they had to threaten him. And so he finally was like, okay, He's a child. we're, we're going to let go. No wonder he, he thought the plaza was stolen from him, probably. Yeah. They stole it from me. That's what <laughs> he thinks. He did. I, I will give him one uh, credit. He uh, does come up with the idea of converting those hotel rooms to condos. And the reason he can't get it done, and I think that was his like saving grace of investment to like get people excited. I don't know if that was before the bankruptcy or after, but was one of the 39 widows who lived there at a oh, rent yeah. control department, Fanny Lowenstein. The, what did they call her? The Eloise from hell? Yeah. This woman was a piece of work. She had a rent control department, three bedroom. She was paying $800 a month. Oh they could have gotten like $1,200 a night for that place. And the reason that she got away with it is because after the war, they like froze rents or something. Um, and she's been living there for that long. And legally, there was nothing that they can do. And so she made it impossible for Trump to be able to do anything. And uh, uh, I think also his financial situations that people were like, no one's going to buy a condo for $8 million in Manhattan. Turns out they were wrong. Yeah. But she sounded like a fucking nightmare. She <laughs> caused everyone problems. She caused the original uh, that manager um salamane she's the one that said i think they're cutting up my the the staff is cutting oh. up my oh that sweaters. was olga levy that was a different oh, widow olga levy, that wasn't her. yeah yeah she was also a pain in the ass yeah this lady. and she blamed trump for like the air quality in the closet oh yeah she, like, she kept saying that like her her air was polluted and she couldn't breathe yeah and she um i mean she would just like sit and complain everyone avoided her they had to like walk outside. The manager, Salamani, would go outside in the winter to avoid the lobby to get to the other side of the building so he didn't have to deal with this woman because she would just sit there and like criticize and annoy the shit out of everyone. <laughs> um, and they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't kick yeah. her out. She was like inherited in the plaza. If you get the plaza, you get Fanny Lowenstein. <laughs> Can you imagine like the collective sigh of relief when she finally died? Like, is that the legacy yeah. you want to leave behind that people yeah, yeah. are relieved when you stop breathing? 
hated her. The staff hated her. She yeah. just sounded like a miserable person. And how yeah. can you be so miserable? You live in the plaza for sh- so for cheap. nothing. Yeah. For nothing. Like, I would have made it so that I was loved and adored. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't want me to leave. And then I'd give that place to my family members. So, <laughs> yeah, so we can say we're control for someone like her. I don't think had kids or Probably any family not. members that liked her. <laughs> Probably not. Like, no, Eventually, he he does sell the plaza. And yes, he, sells he it does. For a loss. Yeah, he sells it to the the prince, the Saudi prince, and the uh, Singapore businessman. They buy it for in 95 this finally happens uh for 325 million so 83 million less than what trump had paid for it seven years ago it was seven years earlier so yeah yeah so um and they that partnership owns it for uh almost a decade uh and they had actually made a deal with trump that if they uh if they sold the plaza within seven years that he would get a cut or if they made and sold condos uh, before they sold it, that he would get a cut of that. But neither of those things happened. So even though condos yeah. eventually did happen in the plaza, Trump didn't see a penny. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. He didn't need any more money. Yeah. Oh, um, well, he definitely needed the money, but I just well, yeah, like But he didn't need any more money to work with. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, I just you know no more it is. It's like personal, you know. Sure, uh, everyone has his um, opinions about him, but the more you read about him and his behavior and his business business technique, this man should not be in charge. Like this is not <laughs> a good businessman. This is not a good leader. He has questionable morals, and the fact that you know, just like you're trying to sabotage a situation that's actually there to help you because you fucked up so bad and you can't let it go like you're a baby yeah you're immature and just i i don't like just i don't like anything i read and this is all like politics aside this has nothing to do with the politics of anything this is strictly just his behavior on the business of the plaza yeah just yeah outlandish ridiculous yeah (laughs) i can't imagine no i reject him (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so the uh this pair owns the plaza until um 2004 when it changes hands again and this is when a real estate developer uh a real estate company named elod buys the plaza and they buy it for 675 million and so yeah but but what it wasn't so straightforward that uh, purchasing. No, but if you want to know more about that, you can read the book because it was it was so so convoluted. It was, yeah. It was a lot of negotiation. Yes, a lot of like they went through a lot. But the guys that owned or ran Elad, they did change up the plaza a lot, and they made it um, make a lot more money. And they yes. did eventually change the hotels rooms to the condos um so what used to be what was potentially going to be sold for eight million was sold for like 53 million yeah they had some and yeah some very issues with it they had yeah but um but yeah so uh this was the the first time that someone not 
like in the hotel business has bought it. Like it was, they bought it specifically because they wanted to turn uh, a lot of it into condos and then also make a lot of um, retail uh, space inside of it. Um, so they buy it in 2004 in summer. Uh, just before Christmas, they make the announcement that they are closing the Oak Room, closing the Oyster Bar, and they're going to lay off almost 200 employees. And they're planning on basically closing the plaza for two and a half years because that's how long the renovation is going to take. And it's going to cost like $450 million to turn it into this multi-use space with condos and retail stores and uh they want it to be a boutique hotel. They want it to only have 150 hotel rooms. Um, but so, you know, 200 people are, are about to lose their jobs. So the New York hotel and motel trades council gets involved, uh, which is uh, led by Peter Ward at the time. Um, so they want to increase the number of hotel rooms that the plaza is going to keep and they also want to negotiate a new severance agreement that would double the payout to any employees that are laid off um which elod was like no we're not we're not going to do that like we have yeah. a union contract already we already like we're abiding by our contract we don't need to do anything else so no yeah. absolutely not and so ward however uh had been in politics for a while. He had allies. Elod had no political allies <laughs> in New York. Oh, yeah. And so Ward really played that to his advantage. He called in favors. He created rallies. Um, he created a campaign called Save the Plaza. And he got celebrity endorsements. They had television oh, and radio God. spots. Like They turned it into a media circus. Uh, they had a rally. Their first rally was at the Pulitzer Fountain. And even the Reverend Jesse Jackson, Jackson showed up to, like, to yeah, save the plaza, you know, save the workers. Um, so the land, the New York Landmarks Conservancy got involved because even though they weren't going to break any of the rules about changing the facade, they were going to uh, renovate rooms inside that had a lot of original details. Mm -hmm. And so this conservancy didn't want that to happen. So they wanted to, they got involved. And so then finally, uh, at the time, Mayor Bloomberg decides to uh insert himself into the situation to try to foster a compromise it was re-election <laughs> time for him so he uh, saw a prime opportunity to show that he was you know on the side of the working man and on the side of new york history and all of that so it didn't help i mean it didn't hurt that this uh union he was working with had a very large bloating block voting block they had like thirty-five thousand members so yeah yeah um which I thought it was so interesting that, that Bloomberg made a big deal about how he was going to foster this compromise. Um, and then he didn't actually participate in the negotiations. He assigned <laughs> a chief of staff for one of his deputy mayors to do it. So mm -hmm. they spent 60 hours negotiating the whole time with Elod still kind of being like, oh, we don't have crazy to do this. Right? Like, yeah. Like, why are we doing this? Uh, we don't have to do this. We're just doing this now because it's become, you know, this crazy, terrible publicity for us. Mm -hmm. um, so they finally agree 
that the plaza would have 282 rooms instead of 150. Um, Common spaces like the ballroom and the oak room and the palm court are going to be renovated and preserved. And then Mm -hmm. they would be able, they would actually keep 350 of their 900 employees and give more generous severance packages to those that they were laying off. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they definitely got taken to task a little bit, but I mean, they still made a billion dollars in profit off of their condos and retail space because they leased out every single possible thing they could. Like they leased the basement to a bakery. They had um, a restaurateur, uh, lease out the restaurant. So even though it's technically, you know, a, a restaurant in the yeah. plaza, it's not run by the plaza anymore. Um, they had I mean, an, ev- like an event company is in charge of the ballroom now. So yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I've been there when, before the pandemic, everything was open. It was great. You can, the food is like amazing. And um, there is a section that's cut off for the condos um, mm-hmm. that you can't even enter. Like there's a separate entrance and everything, but you're buying a six hundred million dollar hotel, and there and people are telling you what you can and cannot do with it. Yeah, and I understand preserving it, and I'm all for that. But you still have to make you know hard decisions to make a business. It's still no one's going to buy it if they're not making money off of it. Yeah, no. So yeah. I kind of give him credit. It was you did some smart things. Um, he didn't do the greatest craftsmanship in the condos. Those people that were buying it, like Russian oligarchs, their wives came in and were like, bitch, why is my $53 million condo shitty? And then he had to knock it down to like $10 million or something. Yeah, it was really ridiculous. People were not happy at all. There was like random like columns in the middle that would just be in like in the middle of the living room. Like it was not laid out well. Yeah, people were not happy. I think they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. Yeah. Um, and obviously they realized that, but it was too late. And then eventually they did sell it, the, their share, right? They sold their. Yes. Although at this point, um, all Prince Al-Walid actually jumps back in and uh, buys back into a piece of the pie. So he becomes part owner now again. But then but, there is the Indian business. Yeah. yeah so in 2012, uh, this Indian billionaire, uh, Sue Brata Roy, decides to buy the plaza after visiting one time. He wanted to buy uh, a hotel and his friend, he was asking about the Four Seasons and his friend said, no, 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 no. You don't want to buy that hotel. Let me take you to the hotel that you'll fall in love with after one visit. So he takes him there. He doesn't even spend the night there. He just kind of goes in and hangs out <laughs> for a little bit and decides to buy it. Quickly, that doesn't turn out the way everyone thinks it does. No, well, he so he pays five hundred seventy million for his seventy percent stake. Um, Al Walid still has a uh, uh, twenty percent uh, stake. Um, but yeah, but a month after this deal is announced, uh, it turns out that he has uh, been ruled against in the Indian Supreme Court. They say that he improperly marketed $3 billion in bonds that it had sold to millions of investors from like the poorest parts of India, like poverty stricken people. Yeah. Yeah. He was a fraud. Um, And they tacked on like a 15% annual interest on top of that. So basically all of his money was about to go to (laughs) 
repaying all of these people that he had defrauded. Um, so he goes to jail. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, he like had faked documents. They they so this part, oh my gosh, this is billionaires are just the most dramatic people, I think. Yes. In the entire <laughs> world. Like first he says he can't comply with the court's request for documents because his employees are away for summer holiday. So he's basically like, oh, no one works here right now. So I can't give you any documents. And then he sends 127 trucks of documents to the government office with 31,000 cartons of files. And in all of these files, it was just like nonsense information with missing addresses. This one investor's name shows up like 6,000 different times. It's all just what? like made up. Infor- yeah, the, the court is like, okay, either you've made all of this up and we don't actually know where you've gotten all of your money, probably from somewhere illegal, or you're the worst record keeper of all time. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah. No, he obviously is full of shit. That's yeah, right. exactly. So... That goes down in 2014. He's arrested. Um, so he was a very short-term owner <laughs> of the plaza. Probably the shortest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. But then, then, after him, it's still uh, owned by Al-Walid, right? Yeah, but he still had the, the 20% stake, I believe. It gets sold to a Qatari business yeah Katara hospitality buys it in 2018 and that's who still currently owns it yeah and that is owned by the Qatari government i think yeah so cool (laughs) that's a little information everyone should be aware of um the Qatari government owns the plaza uh doesn't make me feel that great especially knowing how shitty they are and just everything um and it's also weird i don't think like that's good that they own this like american historic hotel right it, it, it's just it, not it's just a little yeah you, you yeah you would kind of want that to stay domestic but mostly you just don't want it to be owned by terrible people yeah it, it's like it almost makes trump owning it look not so bad yeah almost (laughs) almost (laughs) almost um but yeah i wish uh i've said this to you i wish like some other billionaire would buy it right because obviously at this point that's that's who it's gonna be is if not a corporation then a billionaire yeah if the last i wonder how much they bought it for the qatari group they must have bought it for if it was like sold for 600 million the last time it's probably like 800 million yeah let, let me see she, i think if i don't remember if she says or not in the epilogue but also they're buying it from that billionaire indian billionaire who's gonna get have to sell it at a loss yeah so maybe so maybe it's like they own that 70 percent and they got a really good deal because this guy was such an idiot and yeah just, that could be but if they ever want to sell it, that's when, uh, with inflation, I think they would have to sell the plaza for a billion dollars. Right? Yeah. At least. At this point, yeah. 
that's yeah it has to be something like that it would have to be a bunch of investors because now that i'm realizing it it's like even at the end you have to have more than one because no who has just like a billion dollars to own uh oh here it is they paid 600 million for the entire property including the guest rooms unsold condos and retail spaces buying up roy's majority share as well as uh all will eat steaks oh my god that's crazy that's a really yeah. good deal They're- the luxury condos owned by individual buyers were not part of the deal oh okay that makes more sense yeah but still still they got they didn't have to pay that much more than the other owners no yeah they I mean, uh most recent not quite the deal yeah well, hopefully, um, Elon Musk, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> people would not be happy he, if I, he has enough on his hand on his plate. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> I know. I just just invest. You know, you don't have to be involved. He doesn't need to show up and sleep there. Stay yeah. at the Twitter headquarters. Yeah. Just just anyone without human rights violations buy it that'd be cool yeah <laughs> like, like the bar is not that high <laughs> for billionaires it is <laughs> like, <laughs> i think we are asking for too much <laughs> like how did you get a billion dollars like, yeah you don't want to know um <laughs> yeah so that concludes like the most the current situation of the plaza who owns it how it's run um But just to go over some of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about, and that is every single film, TV show that was filmed at the Plaza. And there is a whole book dedicated to this. Um, We can link it or we can, you know, we'll make sure people are aware of the books that we read to do research. But um, one of my favorite movies that I I only watched recently, like in the past two years, was The Way We Were. Mm. And the last scene. Have you seen it? I haven't. It's on my list. I, I know it's like one of the you most iconic Barbara Streisand movies ever. And I have to, but so I know I'm going to ball my eyes out. You will. So I have to, I have to really work myself up to knowing that I'm going to cry. Yeah, it's so good. I would totally watch it with you. It's so good. And I think I watched it like after a breakup or something. Oh, um, yeah. It's the perfect kind of movie to watch. <laughs> Uh, but at the end, the last scene, she, Barbara Streisand's uh, character and Robert Redford's character meets right in front of the Plaza Hotel. It's just like so iconic. It's the 70s. Yeah. And you know, she says like a famous line. Yeah. And um, that's the scene that they reenacted at the end of the first season of Sex in the City, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Sex in the City has filmed there yeah. a bunch of times. Uh, Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned uh, Bride Wars. Where, what, what was it? Oh, Bride Wars. Bride Wars. I love that one. Uh, but you mentioned to me Crocodile Dundee. Was yes, Crocodile Dundee is responsible for popularizing the hotel with Australians. So back in um, the late 80s, uh, they actually took the lead in foreign business for the hotel. It had previously yeah. been the Japanese, but Crocodile Dundee switched it on over to the Australians. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I think... Um, Every time probably they film there, there's like a boost yeah. or whatever, like the audience that watches it. And um, there's a lot of older movies like North by Northwest. Oh, yeah. Sabrina. Um, Sabrina, uh, The Apartment, I believe. Maybe not. Yeah. So many. I, I, It's really hard to. Gossip Girl. 
obviously. Yeah. And there was also a really famous play uh, featured there called Plaza Suite, where three different couples spend a night in Suite 719. And for a long time, like people would call and request Suite 719 because of this play. But Suite 719, I think, didn't actually exist or it was not. It was like one of the tiny closet rooms. And so people, they were like, sorry, we can't. Yeah. They're like, you don't really want to see. Yeah. You don't, you don't want that room. Um, I think that's good for, you know, to get business for the plaza to keep making it relevant in like pop culture. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, like in the 90s, Home Alone, I'm sure yeah. like completely made our entire generation aware of the plaza. Like people would call constantly and ask because they in the movie, they used their real hotel phone number. And so people would pause it and call the number and ask for Kevin McAllister. (laughs) Well, you know what? It is public information. Yeah. Yeah. I think they just didn't, they just weren't thinking that more than New York would be calling it. (laughs) Oh my God. But uh, also Mariah Carey music video was filmed there. That's right. And a bunch of other, um, I think, uh, Midnight Cowboy. Um, I'm trying to think of all the movies, but there was a, there is a book dedicated to it. So, yeah, I'm so, sure there are going to be more movies and music videos oh, yeah. and photo shoots and weddings. and Absolutely. Yeah. So that book, if you want to look more into that, is starring the Plaza, Hollywood, Broadway and High Society Visit the World's Favorite Hotel uh, by Patty Farmer. And I actually referenced another book by Patty Farmer called The Persian Room Presents, where she goes and interviews all of the surviving uh, people who used to perform at the Persian Room. Or if if they're no longer alive, then she tries to interview someone close to them, like their former manager or something like that. So that was that book was really interesting to hear all of the different performers stories and memories of, of being there. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and there was another book um, just called The Hotel uh, that uh, is just fun. It's just a fun read. It was written in the late 80s, right as Trump had just bought the hotel and hadn't really started making a lot of changes yet. Uh, but it's a week in the life of all of the different people who work in the hotel. So the author basically tags along with like the different departments in the hotel with the managers, the maids, the chefs, the like the bell people. Yeah. Like it was, it was really interesting to to hear everybody's stories. He followed, he trails along the light bulb guy whose only job is to change all of the light bulbs. (laughs) I remember that. Because at the time, the light bulbs would go out all the time and Mm -hmm. constantly need changing. Yeah. So he was just like, running basically all day trying to keep all of the hotel lights on that's hilarious i forgot about that yeah so Um, that book i got on amazon so it was just called the hotel um if anybody's interested in that snapshot from the late 80s yeah and there is also something else i wanted to mention the band celebrities of the plot like celebrities who are banned from the oh yeah yeah charlie sheen charlie sheen uh, wrecked a hotel room. Uh, drugs and a hooker, I believe, was involved. Um, and then I don't, rem- I don't remember if he was banned, but Mickey Rourke like caused like twenty thousand dollars of damage. Yeah, and he's also done that to other hotels. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I mean, wouldn't you ban them? Yeah, if it's your hotel, absolutely. <laughs> Especially now yeah. that I know how hard it is to make money as a hotel. Yeah, I would ban. I I don't blame them. I mean, that's very disrespectful. 
honestly. And if the Beatles could behave themselves, so can Mickey Rourke and Charlie yeah. Sheen and everyone else. Um, and also one last thing I want to mention, or we should mention is that article that talks about the, the craziest things that people who work in hotels have experienced. So, uh, oh, yes. You know, you know which one I'm talking about? Yes. The guy, so there's the, the, this, I think it was the in the plaza. Um, one day, like the workers, they keep coming across empty lobster shells in the fountain. In some fountain or in something somewhere. And they were like, where are these coming from? Like, it, it's happening all the time. Finally, they realized that some prince or some fancy ass person living in, uh, staying in one of the rooms up top, doesn't know how to use a garbage, garbage and <laughs> lobster shells. And he just literally throws it out of his room into the fountain thinking the, you know, servants will just clean it up. Like that's where you put your garbage. And they're just like, no, sir, you have <laughs> to see this tiny little hotel bin here. Room yeah. you, can, you know, or just leave it on your freaking tray. Don't throw it outside. Like, what <laughs> like, are you doing? We'll handle it. <laughs> you stop. Yeah. Um, so like ridiculous stories like that. Just Yeah, if you just Google butler stories at the plaza, <laughs> it will and come then, up. Uh, but you, the story about the couple. Oh my gosh, there was this, the, a couple ordered something for their room and the guy takes it up there and knocks on the door and nobody answers and he knocks again and they say come in and he he goes in and they're in bed waiting for him to arrive so that they can start having sex because <laughs> i guess they were exhibitionists oh right yeah so That's he's just like one. sets down what they need and is like oh excuse me i'm i'm out <laughs> yeah like people have done weird shit uh, there a lot of stories like that i think yeah. there's kind of yeah. you know like you said back in in the first episode like hotels make people act differently than they might the, yeah because and it's the same way the people um will go online use an anonymous account and do weird and mean shit yeah and i think hotels are like i, I don't think you can quite get away with what you can get away with saying online but basically it's like you're a new person yeah. Um, and that's why all the affairs happen in hotels. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure there's a book dedicated to that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about the plaza, but I'm sure there's a ton. There yeah. has to be. But yeah, every fascinating story, that article just about, it was like five or 10 stories or something, and they're all ridiculous. Um, but it, it's it's really interesting. The the plaza, I think doing the amount of research we did, I have a lot of a lot more respect for it and the people that mm -hmm. work there and the people that run it and honestly, the people that wrote the books about it. Wow. Yeah. Lots of research. Oh my gosh. Shout yeah. <laughs> Major shout out, especially to to Julie Sato, who wrote the the one that we are constantly referencing. Um, because just the immense amount of research that had to have gone into that. I'm I'm tired of the plaza after only a couple of months. <laughs> and she wrote yes. such an in-depth book about it. I don't know how she did it. I'm yeah. But I'm yeah, glad she did. Not, Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm very yeah. Thank you, Julie. That was great. We 
it made our job easier. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> you already did all the research. But, um, <laughs> and, and well, like thorough, well done research, not just, yes, you know, Yoko Ono or what is it? <laughs> yeah, when they say Yoli Ono <laughs> in the internet. Yona, Yo, Yoni Ono dying. Yeah. With, John Lennon in the plaza, apparently. Not that kind of research where it, yeah. it's made up. Not internet. She, it was, uh, yeah, not internet research. Um, not, <laughs> Real uh, research. Alternative facts, as some yeah. would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, fascinating. I, I think that I'm going to go back to the plaza and maybe get a more thorough tour. Because I, I went there while we were doing research and when we, after we recorded the first episode, but I still was too shy to go up and talk to anyone about it. Like I spoke to the bartender and he was really nice. And then I went to celebrate. They had a, an open party for their 115th birthday and it had little dancers and live music and free champagne and cake. And oh, I wow. showed that on our Instagram and TikTok. Um, and it was so fun. It was so nice. But I still felt like embarrassed. I was like, I can't go up to them and ask if they can give me a story or, uh, you know, show me around, you know. But I, I think I have to get over myself and hopefully next time. Yeah, I'm definitely. There. Yeah. But um, also, if you guys want to follow and learn more about the plaza, we do post like little stories and pictures on our instagram and that is at his hotel history man i can't talk today hotel history pod or podcast uh yeah the instagram is hotel history podcast podcast and then our twitter is hotel history pod i believe and our tiktok is hotel history um yeah and then if you want to just listen to any of our episodes it's you know where you can get your podcast on spotify on apple Apple. Google, all of it. Tons. Yeah, we're, we're working on getting them on all of the directories, but they are on all the major directories. And if you want to email us, email us at hotelhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We will take all the questions you have and yeah, or stories. We would love to hear any yeah. interesting hotel stories that you might have. Yeah. Is there anything else we should ask the audience? <laughs> the one person. Hi, mom. <laughs> 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 she'll just text me if she has a question yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think that that wraps up the plaza so stay tuned for our next hotel uh, hopefully it will come a lot sooner than this one yeah thank you so much for listening